Hello, hello, and welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. On today's episode, we have quite the sober boss babe. Not only is Charlotte a boxing babe, but she is a marketing manager of the practice studio. Now, the practice studio is going to change the way you work out. It is going to change the way you approach your exercises, your fitness, and your life. It is revolutionary, and so is Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Jessica. It is an absolute pleasure. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm so excited to have this interview with you. And I like loved meeting you at Van City Business Babes and your breath of fresh air. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was a, a fun event. So random. I never really go to networking things. And like since coming to Vancouver, I'm like, oh, might as well check it out. And it was very beneficial. So little plug for the Van City Business Babes. Holla. Yeah. (laughs) So let's get right down to it. Um, Charlotte, you're sober. I am. Yes. Would you mind telling us your sober story, if you will? Yeah, for sure. Where do you want me to start? Let's take it to the very beginning, like where it all began. I think you mentioned you've been sober for eight years, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've been sober for eight years. Um, And just to like... amazing formally introduce myself. You know, I'm Charlotte Harris, and I'm the marketing manager for the practice studios, which is a whole life studio. And I'm also an amateur boxer and a boxing coach. Cool. And uh, yeah, and like that was not my reality uh, eight years ago. Right. Whatsoever. So what did eight years ago look like for you? Eight years ago, I was completely crippled by anxiety and fear. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really quite put my finger on, you know, why. My drinking looked like it looked manageable from the outside. I was like a party girl. I was living in LA when I was 22. So I'm 30 now. So 22 was like towards the end of my drinking career, if you will. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and I was like, you know, studying film and, and I was working in the film industry Okay. and drinking was a huge part of that. Right. Like showing up to, you know, those, those, uh, mixers and, and events and networking events and schmoozing and all of that. And it was all like who, you know, Oh and, yeah. and, you know, getting your connection. So I would show up and be the life of the party. Totally. <laughs> What did you do in film? I worked as a, I was an intern at the time. I studied at the New York Film Academy and I was interning in film production. Okay. And then um, after that, I started working as a, as a director assistant in Vancouver. And then, yeah. And then I moved into culture and wellness based business, uh, Lululemon. I started at Lululemon. I moved on to RYU Apparel and now I'm at the practice studio. And so I've been, I've been fully immersed and uh, uh, in love with companies that really focus on fostering whole health and wellness in addition to growing business and thriving as a business. I think they really go hand in hand. Um, You know, like when you empower people, you see your business grow simple as that. Absolutely. I love that. 
I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going back to eight years ago, LA film, yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, I mean, and, you know, since I was a kid, like, I grew up in, like, um, I had, like, a pretty tumultuous uh, family environment. My mom okay. uh, moved out of the country. We were, like, traveling for a while. Her and my dad had, like, a rough split up. She remarried, married my stepdad. Um, and they had a rough split up. So I never really like felt any kind of sense of like real stable security or like mentorship at home. Mm -hmm. And where I found my, uh, where I felt like felt a part of and most free and at ease was when I was like partying with my friends. So that was kind of the route that I chose to take, which was like, you know, being in life with a party how much can you drink? You know, how much can you, um, you know, let loose basically. Right. And then, you know, and then I had the weekend parties where I'd like trash my parents' house and, you know, I would, I would drink. And then sometimes like, you know, other things would come into the, come into the equation when I was drinking. Like I would, I would use some recreational party uh, drugs mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, and I was really like ashamed, you know, like in the daytime I was, I was living this really like fun, exciting, ambitious life, which was all about like building my career as a woman in business. And then like in the weekends, I was just like burning right. it all down. Yeah. You were living two different lives. Yeah. And I, and, and it was weird. Like the best way that I can describe it is I basically felt like a fraud. Yeah. So like on the outside, uh, yeah. it looked so good. And then on the inside, I was like dying. Wow. Yes, I, I can relate to that. Jesus. What kind of happened after that? Like, where did you go? Did you have a breaking point? Did you have, you know, a quote unquote rock bottom? How did it evolve? At first, I, I had my first glimpse of sobriety when I was 21 before I like fully committed to being sober, I went away on an Ayurvedic cleanse, like a detox cleanse. And with my friend, she was like, I'm going to go balance. We were living in uh, New York at the time. Yeah. And we were, I was studying film. So I was in New York before I went over to LA. So I was living in New York with my friend and she's like, I'm going to go like cure my psoriasis using Ayurvedic medicine. I'm going to do this Ayurvedic detox cleanse. I was like drinking and smoking and eating whatever. And I was like, I think I need a cleanse too. And so (laughs) I went with her and like, we did this like really cool, like intensive Ayurvedic uh, treatment for two months. And after that, like my skin was all clear. My body was healthy. Like my, my mental health felt so much better. Like I just had like this deeper sense of like clarity and confidence. Mm -hmm. And, um, but my environment was still the same. And so I came back to LA, started dating a guy and surely, but quickly, I just ended up right back where I left off. Um, you know, drinking and partying and doing the same, like, uh, you know, incomprehensible demoralizing things every single night. And, um, but yeah, it wasn't like, I didn't think I had a problem because I could keep it like, I could keep it to the weekend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Um, I wasn't a daily drinker. Like you would make it to work and we'd be fine. Yeah, I would make it to the work and, you know, maybe I'd be like, you know, I was like kind of late all the time, but like, I'd make it to work and like, you know, I'd manage to like quit my job before they fire me because like, I was just like, you know, too cool for school. Like I, I was... 
I was very like self-centered in my active drinking as well. Right. I mean, being late in LA is kind of typical, but <laughs> it's true. And also like not showing up. Like, yeah. When I, when I like first lived in LA, I was like, oh my God, like flaking is a real thing. Like it's an actual thing. It's like, sorry, I flaked. Oh, there actually was no sorry. It's just radio silence. Yeah. Oh, like there is no accountability in LA. Like people can literally do whatever they want, like get away with murder basically. And people are yeah. like, fine. They're like, oh, okay, well, what about today? Or what about tomorrow? Like, it's really crazy. Yeah, I think flaking was actually invented yeah. in Los Angeles yeah. in the early 90s. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's slowly coming to Vancouver now, too. We got some flaky people over here, too. So, you know how it is. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't stick. Yeah. <laughs> I think Vancouver people are too smart for that. Yeah, I don't know. Or I, I hope know. they are. We, you know, we got... We got smart people, thick people everywhere in every corner of the planet. This is true. <laughs> um, we're just like, we're a little bit more vicious, you know, like we say sorry. Like we, we think we cut, co we cover up our like assholeness with the word sorry, but it doesn't like, oh my God, you're raised yes. being an asshole. So we're just like assholes that say sorry. And then like yeah. New Yorkers are just up front. They're just like, yeah, I'm an asshole. What's it to you? And then LA yep. people are just like, I'm going to just like secretly be an asshole and say nothing. So there's just, you yes. know, different versions, different versions. Total, Same like, thing. different degrees of assholeness. Yep. That's so funny. I totally find that even, like, driving in Vancouver, people are, like, indecisive assholes. Like, they're yes. kind of like, oh, well, you can go, but you can go. But then they're, like, passive-aggressive after, like, oh, well, you went. No one's making a move. Yeah, totally. It's oh, yeah. so, so, like, passive-aggressive assholes. Yeah. For sure. 100%. <laughs> okay so in LA okay I have a question do you think your sobriety had anything to do with your location like living in New York or living in LA did that no no okay no I think uh, I don't know I believe that like wherever you go there you are true and yeah I mean you you are home yeah and like wherever you go there you are and uh and like I it, it could have put things a little bit in like fast forward because I wasn't living with my parents anymore. I was on my own. Um, mm -hmm. I like had this like spending account that like with no kind of like regulation or, or any kind of supervision. So, oh. you know, if anything, yeah, like moving, living abroad for three years probably sped up and fast forwarded me hitting my own bottom when I was 22 with my right. drinking for sure so like in that sense but mm -hmm. yeah i would say the the distance did yeah speed up the velocity a little bit okay so what what was your turning point after that cleanse that you went on with your girlfriend that was your your first taste of sobriety or was that like the the turning point? that was my first taste and then and then like and okay. then you get a glimpse of it and you're like wow so that's what it's like living my life sober right and then i went back to drinking and then it got you know a little bit darker a little bit worse a little bit grayer and i mm -hmm. uh was done 
done my official practical training visa in LA. So, you know, I had to go back to Vancouver now to rainy old Vancouver. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And then I went to Vancouver and um, it's hard to like connect with the community over, over here. And I like would go to the bar and I would like buy people drinks and I would like try to spark up a conversation. It was like, I was kind of isolated and, you know, my drinking continued to kind of get worse. It didn't get better. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't moderate. It just turned into every time I drank, right. I just didn't know what was going to happen. Like maybe I would have three one time or maybe I would like close the bar down and like, you know, hear the morning birds chirping, which is like still a hard thing for me to hear. Um, <laughs> oh, totally. Like total yeah. trigger. The morning birds and yeah. you're on your way home has got to be the worst thing in the yeah, world. Yeah, they're like... Absolutely. It's like it's, it sounds like this. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh. Like, oh, hey, oh, asshole. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so, so... You're an addict. You're an addict. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I moved back to Vancouver, and I'm living in this house with a, with a bunch of other artists, and I'm working okay. in the film industry. Um, and I, yeah, that experience of like feeling like a fraud, like, oh, I kind of have it all together on the outside. It looks good. I'm dressed well, you know, I'm looking good, mm -hmm. but on the inside was just this like total like emptiness, right? Like the emptiness just got bigger. The pit in my stomach just kept getting bigger. And I finally like, you know, and like throughout my entire life, people have been trying to tell me like, Hey, I think you have a drinking problem. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like get off my back. Right. Like even my, right. my school principal when I was 14 years old was like, go see a counselor. You smell like tequila. You know, like I, I was just like one of those kids. Oh. Right. And, uh, wow. yeah, like when I was a young, I started young and you know, I guess I, you could say that I quit young, right. Like 22 to yeah. stop drinking is kind of like is is kind of young and i know other people quit when they're 15 now 16 now there's there's such awareness right. now that i think it's so cool that like teenagers are are now able to acknowledge that they have a substance abuse problem and that they're able to like you know choose choose a sober life if they need that you know which is great but uh that's amazing yeah i i i hit bottom so you were like going hard when you're like an early teenager yeah, when I was 14, I lived in the Bahamas and the um, oh, damn. drinking age was if you can reach the height of the bar and you have cash in your hand, you can drink. So yeah. I started drinking at <laughs> the local marina bar when I was 14 years old. That's when I started. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was sneaking beers, well, like a beer out of my mama's fridge and I thought I was a rebel, but like full on saddling up at a bar at 15, like that's 14. That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I got it out of my system when I was younger and I, and I bounced back. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, when the hangovers weren't as bad and, yeah. uh, but you know, every, everyone has a different story, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely started early. I just like, uh, it was weird. It was like when I was a kid, I was like, if I can get my hands on, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, whatever, then I will be a grown up. Like I saw it as a huh. way of like growing up sooner and like a form of like independence or being one of the adults or something, even though neither right. of my parents drank very much. Like they weren't heavy drinkers. My dad 
would have a few beers and my mom like never drank. So it, it was weird that I saw that as like independence and being an adult or whatever. Yeah. That's um, very interesting. Yeah. But, uh, okay. but yeah, so I hit bottom, which is super important. I think for me is like it, you know, with that, like with that desperation came willingness, right? Like yeah. I, 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 I was desperate enough to, to consider that, you know, my best way of running my life wasn't necessarily working anymore. Was there an, a specific instance that kind of like pushed you over the edge or was it just like a general feeling enough is enough? Well, I mean, there was a series of moments, right? Okay. And then it was just kind of like this coming to. So the first moment that I would say is one of my bottoms is my mom was diagnosed with lymphoma. So mm -hmm. stage four lymphoma, cancer of the lymph nodes. Holy hell. Wow. Um, I'm like, I'm living in LA. I'm drinking really heavy. She's in Vancouver. I'm supposed to come home for Christmas. And she's like, just a heads up. I have no hair and I'm like 20 pounds underweight. Just so you know, when I see you at the airport, don't freak out. Oh I'm my like, God. She, and then she's like, don't Google lymphoma. Right. Oh my God. And instead, right. Like this is when I knew I had a problem. Right. I was like, instead of being like, wow, I really need to be present for my family. Right. I like went out that night, got so drunk. I blacked out. I ended up in some random area of Los Angeles. Oh no. I didn't even know where I was. I missed my flight. I came to with like, food on my clothes or something I like didn't know where I was I left right away in panic went to a gas station to be like where am I so that I can call a cab mm -hmm. and they called the police because they thought I was some sort of like sex trade worker because I was looking <gasps> I was in that worse of shape like I was in I was that rough looking and no like, from the night before that they called the police even though I was just asking where we were uh, oh my like, god! You know I mean? So then the police come, and I'm like really nice to them, almost too nice. Cause, yeah. And I'm like wearing my little dress from the night before and my high heels. Right. And my friends literally had to come and like nurse me back to life for the like following 24 hours until I came to and was like, wow. So I like basically bailed on my mom who had like stage four lymphoma. I bailed on my dad and my sister who were all waiting for me on the airport. Oh no. And um, you think that that would be enough to have me quit drinking, but right. it wasn't. And, and then, you know, more and more of situations like that where the self-centeredness that happened from my drinking, um, like just all the results and all the impact and eventually just ended me up with like no friends, like no real friends. Yeah. My family didn't even really want to have anything to do with me. Like it just had me be so isolated. And, um, and you know, I'm so, I'm so grateful that like, I actually got to find sobriety in my life because mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not like it's been perfect in it by any means I've had to stay uh, sober and be present for every single emotion. Like I don't get to numb out anymore, Right. but I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's so crazy how we think like, oh, these horrible circumstances in our life that come up from our own doing would be enough to stop us, but you just keep on trucking.
Good that you realize that now. Yeah. Did you end up going to a treatment center or rehab or how did you? Yeah. What actions did I take? Um, Get to where you are today. So I, uh, I, my stepdad, he went into treatment for addiction and I was like, okay, like I should be open to getting the support that I need and, you know, hook in with a community of sober people. And, and that's just what I did. I started reaching out to uh, sober friends of mine. I didn't go to detox. I didn't go to treatment. Um, I, uh, I kind of, uh, I did it on my own, but I didn't do it on my own. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. I took the, the spiritual path. So I took a spiritual path. I started to, I mean, I did, I did counseling. I did therapy. Um, I currently do therapy. I do something called EMDR, which is amazing. Um, really helps with, uh, you know, shifting trauma in the brain. Oh, cool. So yeah, EMDR therapy is dope. Oh my God. It's like, it's like neoplasm. How does that work? Like, what does that entail? It's like eye movement therapy. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I can't really like explain it probably very well but i can explain it roughly it's like eye movement therapy where trauma is the access point and basically it's like a way of healing your brain at a physiological level um tapping into your subconscious mind so your conscious mind is like at a language level and subconscious is like in between like dream and awake and you basically use these little tappers or like you're moving your eyes from side to side um, while reporting different things. And um, EMDR therapy is basically used to for trauma patients, like people who um, like firefighters who've been traumatized and like can't work in the field anymore. Like they do EMDR and suddenly they're able to work in the field um, neoplasticity used to be like only in children, but now they've discovered neoplasticity is, um, possible for men, like for adults. And so like healing your brain, um, your brain actually physically holds on to trauma. Mm -hmm. So your brain holds on to trauma and, um, and like, so when you get, when you like say there's this traumatic moment and it doesn't necessarily have to be like, Oh, some car flipped over and you saw like dead right. people everywhere. That doesn't necessarily mean trauma. It could be mom and dad were yelling at each other in the kitchen and you were three and you were trying to tell them to stop. You know, like that's an example from my own life. It's like, I was five. I was like, stop right. yelling. And they wouldn't that in that moment, I had this like extreme feeling of like powerlessness and like, I can't make a difference yeah. in the world. And it didn't stay in that moment. It came with me into my adult life. Yeah. So, so like trauma gets trapped by like a layer of protein in your short term memory. So then things happen in your life and you start reacting like a five year old. And so what EMDR does is it, it takes that that short-term memory and it files it where it should be into your long-term memory. So you don't forget it, but it's not impacting you in the present moment anymore. So like EMDR therapy is a big part of my journey as well. Yes. Okay. That's so, so cool. I actually did some training kind of like that. Um, it was called uh, hemispheric integration and basically like accessing it through the eyes and how you store basically two memories or remember certain situations in two completely different ways, according to the different side of, 
of your brain. So like the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, that's, I mean, pretty much the same gist of it, but that's, it's really, really interesting. I like loved, loved all that training and all that, all that practices. It's it's so, so effective. Mm. It's mind blowing actually. Healing is, it's just extraordinary. We don't even know what's possible. Most people don't even realize that they need to be healed. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, this is how I am. Or they think like personality traits or thoughts or feelings are are part of just like who they are when really it's like these little bits of trauma that are compounded over time. And now it, it's bigger than it really needs to be. Like it can be unhooked and unanchored, but people don't even realize it. It's, it's mm -hmm. pretty cool. It's pretty um, interesting work. I love that. Yeah. And in the early stages, it was a huge part of it was mentorship. I needed a mentor. I needed a guide. I needed someone who had, um, okay had gotten sober and stayed sober and lived a sober life. And, and they, you know, they basically held my hand through it and showed me how to do it. And then, you know, um, yeah, this, this woman was amazing. She, she was like 26 years sober and wow. I was just like, how did you do it? And like, she got sober young and she was actually from California originally. Mm -hmm. And I got in touch with her through mutual friends. And I was just like, how did you do it? And, and really the key to it was by me surrendering and giving up control because my best doing and acting and thinking mm -hmm. got me in that current position in my life. And it was literally like the act of like handing the steering wheel over to her and her being like, okay, jump. And I'm like, okay, how high? And she's still in my life. And That's she still so supports awesome. Me. Yeah. And I still call her on a weekly basis. Wow. Like, no joke. That's so amazing. Those connections are so important. I, sober or not sober, people need connections. That's just something I've learned in the last couple of years very intently. <laughs> um, well, wow. Totally. And it's like, it's, it's incredible the things that we get to accomplish when we invite someone in like outside of our view of life. Yes. You know, like you being a wellness coach and a sober coach, like as soon as I saw what you're up to, I was like, I need this woman in my life. She's amazing. Um, <laughs> like, I love what you're up to. I love what you provide, you know, for the community. I love the awareness that you bring. Um, Thank you. And like, yeah, like, it's, it's so important. Like, I did not get sober on my own. Like, right. When I tried to do things by myself, they just didn't know. It just wasn't going to happen. No, and we're not supposed possible. to do things on ourselves. Like, this is why we're all here, you know? We're all supposed to help each other. It's not competition. It's collaboration, you know? it's We're supposed to be together, for Christ's sake. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the practice studio. Mm -hmm. How did you get into that? And can you... First of all, tell us what the practice studio is all about, please. Yeah. Um, so the practice studio launched um, last October, so October of 2017. Okay. Um, as a whole life studio. Okay. We we really saw um, that there was like a huge opportunity in the fitness industry. Um for people to really look at their whole life when okay. 
approaching their fitness. Um, we, our philosophy is about our four pillars of life, which is fitness, nutrition, meditation, and life design. So okay. we, we, we combine, uh, life, life coaching or life design with holistic nutrition, um, meditation practices and fitness to really, um, compose and create and design a life that is like custom for each individual person for them to like live their very best best version of themselves and what we believe is that if you're if you're living the very best version of yourself you're really Mm going to get that anything's possible like there is no difference between you and me and like oprah winfrey she just chose yeah, not listen to all those no's that she got. And she chose to spend her 12 hours in a day taking different actions than I chose to take in it in 12 hours in a day. And like, literally, that is the only difference between me and Oprah Winfrey. Oh, my God. Yes. Hell and there's just action yeah. or inaction. That. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the practice studio, and I have mad respect for Oprah Winfrey. One day I want to meet her and oh God, kiss me her feet because she's extraordinary. Oh my God. I want to hug her. her so bad. Like, I think she's, <laughs> right? I think she's going to smell good. Like kind of like florally, but like really warm, maybe like a hint of rose. I don't know. I don't know. Just who knows? Oprah, if you're out there, let us know what you smell like. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, what I love about her is that she has a lot of compassion and strength. Yes. And, um, you know, and, and power, right. It's like, it's like, we, we can't, um, like victimhood, like we all have a choice to be a victim or to transform ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like literally we can, we can lay down and like, there's a payoff in that victimhood for sure. But the cost is far too great. Like if you really look at the payoff, it's like, mm, yeah, I don't really have to be responsible. It's everyone else's fault. I can just be lazy I can cry and eat my ice cream and just like melt. Yes. Or, but the cost is I don't have powerful relationships. I'm like constantly upset. I like, I'm, I'm isolated. I'm disconnected. I hate my body, et cetera. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Anyways. So the practice, the practice studio incorporates life design to help people see those blind spots like if if um if like having your fitness like be exactly where you want it to be and your your mental health and your your physical health and your nutrition it would be so simple we would just read a book Mm -hmm. and then we would know right but it's not that simple we have these blind spots in our life that we don't even know are holding us back so when you incorporate the life design aspect to the holistic nutrition and the fitness and the meditation um you you literally discover blind spots and 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 cause cause these awarenesses and these insights that actually move you forward and taking new actions that you didn't even know were possible to take and then and then you start living that life oh well hey anything's possible oh wow no, if this is possible, then, then what else is possible? Right. And, and that's been, that's been the kind of life that I've been able to live since I got sober eight years ago is it's been this like growing, building momentum of, of like improvement in my life through getting the coaching that I needed in seeing like, wow, no, you know, if I take this action, 
then what's possible? Right. If I take this, this action, then what's possible? Like eight years ago, I would have killed someone to be a marketing manager. I would have been like, if someone would have told me, like, you're going to be a marketing manager for like a whole life studio in Vancouver and like partner up with this like badass CEO woman named Jackie and like, you know, make a difference in people's lives and like inspire people to grow every day. Yeah. I would have not believed them. You know, yeah. I would have just been like, no way, you know, let me keep smoking my cigarette, like, you know, get <laughs> off my curb. Yeah. Like, next corner. <laughs> oh my God. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of life. You never friggin' know what's going to happen. And that like, that's both terrifying and amazing at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is so cool. So do you do everything at the studio? I'm imagining this place is cute to encompass all these, these aspects. Yeah, so um, we do, we have a full schedule of group fitness that, okay. so we have group fitness classes that come through. We have an office where our, our life design sessions and holistic nutrition sessions can happen in the studio or remotely. So we do them over the phone or through Zoom. Oh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Because all, all that's required is a conversation, and right. uh, and then like some email and etc. Like there, there is like work to do. Um, so like technically, our whole life program, the whole thing can be done remotely, which is pretty sweet too for for our clients that are just coming through town temporarily, and then they go back to London or you know L.A. or New York or whatever. Um, but the, yeah, the space is. Right. Or just traveling. Like there's so many people who like travel for work mm -hmm. too. Absolutely. You can take it on the road. Mm -hmm. That's great. So who should try practice studio? Who is your ideal client? Anyone who wants to have their whole life work. Okay. Me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have, I would say our, our more senior, our most senior client is like 80. Oh, wow. Cool. And our youngest one is probably like 15. No um, way. We really have this, like, what I would say we're known for is to have this like non-pretentious environment where wherever you're at is perfect and wherever you want to go is perfect. Okay. And so like, you know, we create this like really safe, non-judgmental space where people are challenged to meet their goals but also celebrated in exactly where they are and uh and exactly where they want to go that's so awesome i think that's very very important i i mean i know mm -hmm. from my experience like i don't react to someone just like yelling at me and like you know like telling me to go harder or go faster or like do this or do that like i definitely need a little like nurturing here and there. I like that. What is your favorite aspect of the practice studio program? My favorite? If well, you can choose one. Um, because I'm a boxing coach. Yes. <laughs> I really love our boxing program because boxing has been a huge part of my own personal uh, yeah. like journey. I started competing four years ago and like training as a amateur boxer like five years ago. And so now I'm a coach and I coach our class called Float and Sting. Um, so I'm an 
I'm an avid lover of boxing. Also, there's like a huge like mindfulness component to oh, it. Like so cool. What I do is I do a boxing class where we're hitting the bag, we're doing like pad work, we're learning combinations, we're learning technical mm-hmm. boxing form. But then we're also getting a really good workout. And at the end, we do um, at least three minutes of mindfulness. So I do meditation incorporated with high intensity boxing, which is which is pretty cool uh, and unique, which I, I actually really love that. I love okay. that all of our fitness classes incorporate mindfulness um, because meditation is one of our one of our pillars. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. How did you get into boxing like that's One of my favorite things to do. It just like gets everything out and your arms just look ripped. Yeah. <laughs> I have to wear four-way stretch dresses. Otherwise my dresses break. <laughs> no, but sometimes, sometimes, seriously. Hashtag athlete life, like these little dainty, dainty things. I can't wear them anymore. Oh my God. Um, How did you get into it? I just started doing boxing inspired fitness with, you know, some yeah. really amazing uh, friends of mine, Anna Ferrant and Jordan. And they, uh, they had this, this deal going called all city athletics and it's boxing inspired fitness. And so I started hitting the, the pads and I was like, I wonder what it'd be like to actually like throw these punches in the ring and actually use them. And then um, Eastside Boxing Club, which is a nonprofit uh, boxing gym with an after-school program for women and youth, they were doing a fundraiser where they were like, I'll train you to fight if you raise $2,000. And I was like, okay. So I did like a bikini car wash and I raised $2,000 and I got in the ring and I fought and it was terrifying, but I loved it. And I discovered confidence in a whole new way, dealing with confrontation in a whole new way trusting trusting my training I mean it was like and all at the same time like I was like growing in my professional life becoming a manager in uh in retail I was like leading teams I was growing I was opening stores with RYU I was growing the company from one store to three stores and then meanwhile in my spare time I'm like getting in the ring uh taking punches and throwing punches and it was totally transferable Cause like when you're working in a startup, uh, you're yeah. taking punches and you're throwing punches, not literally, but like emotionally you are. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And even like the whole physical aspect of boxing, like there's a whole mindfulness component behind it, you know, like trying to like calm yourself down and like super heated situations. Like it's, I think it would be like more of a mind, mind, uh, exercise as well as it is physical yeah would you agree oh yeah for sure and the first fight that I had um I lost it because my I was just too afraid like I had I just I was really Mm. afraid and I tensed up and I panicked and I wasn't able to relax and a big part of boxing is about having fear and like accepting it and taking a deep breath and and then relaxing and performing, like staying as relaxed as possible because mm. you burn fewer calories, you absorb punches in a different way when you're relaxed. Um, if you're right. stiff, you can just drop really easily, right? And then the second yeah. second year, I did the fight again. I did. It's called uh, the Restaurant Rumble. This year, I did not compete. I got to like volunteer and support other fighters in the ring, which was really cool. But um, the second one that I did, I won. 
And it was because I put in the work and I um, Mm -hmm. practiced mindfulness. Like it was my first time um, that I had really focused on the mind game around it in, in like doing that. And I got coaching from another boxer who was really skilled and he was on his way to, he was trained by like Mayweather and he was on his way to the freaking Olympics at the time. And he got on the phone with me Wow, and was like, Charlotte, it's all about the jab. And then he was like, tell yourself you're the fastest, you're the best and you're the strongest over and over again. And I was like, jump roping, warming up, getting ready for my fight. There's 900 people in the Commodore ballroom, all cheering for the fight before mine. I'm getting ready to get in the ring and I'm just terrified. I'm like, I'm never doing this again. This is the worst thing ever. Oh my God. And I just kept telling myself, (laughs) I'm the fastest, I'm the best, I'm the strongest. And then as soon as the bell rang, it was just like, ding, done. Like I was just I was in the zone in that like flow, flow state of of performance. And at one point in time, I was, I could hear like the audience cheering my name and, um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a totally cool experience. So ever since I, you know, whenever I get the chance, I, uh, I take the opportunity to compete. So that is so cool. I love that big ups to you. Holy cow. Thanks. That is very, very brave. I love it. Sure. You asked me um, what my favorite aspect of the practice studio is. And I would say life design. Yeah. Like life coaching, life design is, for me is like at the source of it all. Um, like if, I, if my um, intentions and my view of life mm-hmm. are... Um, geared in the right direction, then all of those other things that I want to have happen in my life start moving forward. So I would say like that is, that's something that I found super effective in everything, my relationships, my fitness, my nutrition, my, um, yeah, you know, everything, everything is the life design, the life coaching aspect for sure. I think that's what makes us special. I think it's a totally unique program. I've never, ever heard anything like it. It's so cool. Thank you. And one day we'll open a location in LA. You know what I'm saying? We'll come. That would be awesome. I don't know if I will be in LA because Vancouver is kind of winning me over right now. No way. Uh, Yes. That's a whole separate show and conversation. (laughs) Okay. Well, we have to talk about that. We'll we'll definitely touch. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So just wrapping it up here, I was wondering what your piece of advice is to someone listening to this podcast who is sober, who is thinking about getting sober. What advice would you have to that person? If you're thinking you have a problem with drinking, you probably do. Normal normal drinkers don't think that. If one mm-hmm. glass of wine is absurd to you, if you can't just drink a half a glass of wine, then you probably have a problem with drinking yeah. and it's okay. And it's not the end of the world. And the most fun that you're going to have in your entire life is yet to come. And like, you're worth it and reach out and let a strong, sober community love you until you can love yourself. And it's okay to be in a dark place. Absolutely. And there's people out there like you 
and me and all these other guests that I have on the podcast who are living proof and here to help, right? Absolutely. I love that. Charlotte, thank you so, so much for your amazing words of wisdom and for your time. Thank you so much for uh, the invitation. It was an absolute honor and privilege to to have this conversation with you. Yeah. So can you tell people where they can find the practice studio? Yeah, we're located uh, at 102 1500 Howe Street in Vancouver. And our website is www.thepracticestudios with an S on the end, .com. Um, Yeah, and that's where we're at. And then on Instagram, we're uh, The Practice Studios. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So amazing. Again, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. And have a great day. You too. Thank you. Okay, bye. Okay, how can you listen to that and not want to get into boxing? What an amazing, inspiring, and motivational story. Once again, my guests never seem to disappoint. As always, thank you guys so much for listening and so much for your support. Couldn't do without you. Be sure to check out A Sober Girl's Guide on social media at A Sober Girl's Guide and check out the blog at asobergirlsguide.com subscribe, comment, and rate the podcast. I love to hear feedback from you guys. Have a great day.